0: Oh, it's a joy to be back here. Uh, it's weird to think that um, just a year and a couple weeks ago, I stepped off uh, for a sabbatical um, and um, from serving at New Philly, but the irony was it wasn't a sabbatical because I was still on the board, and the board was actually far more taxing than um, pastoring this campus. Uh, and so people would be like, how's your sabbatical going? And I'd be like, don't ask. <laughs> it's not really a sabbatical. Um, you know, but uh, that season, you know, is, is through, and, uh, you know, things are changing, and I could really feel it last week in coming back, and uh, Pastor Billy and Pastor Daisy have done a wonderful job in terms of helping this church through, I would call it a hurricane. Um, it's just been intense, um, but you could feel it being lifted off. And Pastor Billy was even mentioning it last week. There's something sweet at work. And family is heavy on my heart as I shared as you guys came up here. I mean, why did I stay on the board? You know, why did I keep fighting through different things? And it was really for family. It's for people that I love to see. Not just that I love to see, but it has people who have God's love in them and want to worship the Lord. And there's something special about coming together like this or at just a small group meeting or wherever where people genuinely want to seek the Lord and worshiping him together. It's one thing when you worship alone, you know, it's another thing when you worship together. The power it amplifies. God loves marriage. There's a reason why he says it's not good for man to be alone. There's a reason why we need this church, this body, because there is an increase of grace. There's an increase of love, of joy, of sweetness when we come together and we just give them our all and we worship. And uh, today what I'm going to be preaching on is about family, but it's about the orphans. And so... If you are at New Harvest a couple months ago or at Hongdae a couple weeks ago, it's, you, get, you get a double shot, all right, uh, of this message. Um, but there's going to be some twist at the end. So I gave a little twist at Hongdae a couple weeks ago. I'm going to twist that a little bit more uh, today. But uh, today I will be speaking on Oak Tree Project, a uh, scholarship mentoring program for the orphans of Korea. And so I think most of you guys know I came to Korea about 13 years ago, and I lived in a children's home for three years with the kids. And I still serve at that children's home during the week uh, as a volunteer. I teach English, I teach basketball, I just spend time with the kids. And over the years, I started Jerusalem Ministry. We do camps, Christmas Secret Angel, things like that. And Oak Tree Project, scholarship and mentoring program for the orphans. And I'm gonna give a little bit more of a summary of that uh, today. I'm gonna kind of shorten it because I know I spoke an Oak Tree Project here at She-Lim a couple years ago. But basically, when I came to the home, Right away, I could see the needs for the kids that were graduating and leaving the home. You graduate from high school, you are deemed an adult. That's for all kids in Korea. The day you graduate from high school, you can go into a bar and you can drink. Okay, you can show them your ID, and it doesn't really matter what you're, I guess if you started school uh, early, uh, it affects you. But uh, you're deemed an adult, you're allowed to drink, you gotta go to, to the army pretty soon after graduating. And for orphans, the government says, because you're an adult, you got to leave the home immediately. It used to be you would get two weeks after graduation where you could stay at the home, but now they're trying to kick the kids out even sooner. Uh, And so usually it's about a month before they graduate, they have to go. And um, for the kids, it's just you're going from having everything taken care of for you, your clothing, your bedding, your food, people saying what you need to do, people waking you up, people making sure you're studying or at least encouraging you to study, you know, you had that to suddenly now, nothing. No family member to call, no one telling you what to do, no one looking after you. And for a lot of these kids, they get lost. They don't know what to do. And uh, depression, even suicide, temptations of gangs, temptations of sex trafficking, these things are very, very real. And there's a lot of stories that my staff, G, Mee-Jung, Tay. You know, myself, we could share with you guys that are just would rip you up and would make you really angry, but we have to kind of keep a lot of the stories in confidence because the homes don't want certain stories of you know kids that, that uh, you know got sex trafficked and killed, um, you know things like that. They don't want people to know this, and um, it's just very real. It's not just like oh, I saw it in a movie. I guess it happens in some dark place in Seoul that I've never been. No. Guys, it happens even here in Shilam. There's a number of orphanages right in this area, in Kwanaku, uh, a number of them. Um, and there's also a home for girls after they graduate from high school. They can go in there like a boarding home where they can live for a couple years, which is very helpful for them. Um, but there's a lot of seedy areas around here. And even in Xilin, um there used to be a prostitution row um, along that like kind of, uh, it's like a canal or whatever, the old highway that used to go there. It used to be that I've seen some of those bars leave, which is good. Um, But there's still a lot of prostitution here. You hang around Shilam late on a Friday. Uh, There's a lot of junk. And this stuff is very real. It's not a bunch of girls that are like, I want to do this for a living. Uh, It's a lot of girls that were abused, that were lost, a lot of orphans that are out there. And so um, I'm taking a long time. I didn't mean to do that uh, in explaining Oak Tree Project. But uh, we saw this need. It is very severe. And we especially saw orphans that get into college because not only do they have to pay for their living expenses, but now they have to pay for their tuition. So an orphan that that leaves the home and is able to just get a job and not go to college, they can at least pay for their living expenses and get by. Okay? It's not easy for them. They still get lonely. There's still a lot of issues with them. But for the kids that get into college, the expenses double, but their time to work is like cut in half. And so for a lot of them, they have to take side jobs that end up being almost like full-time work through the night at a convenience store, at a bar, where, wherever we'll hire them. And uh, then they also have to attend classes, but they don't have much time to study. They get really exhausted. They don't have time for friends. And so many of them fall into that depression, into that anxiety, and will drop out. So we saw a need specifically for the kids in college to give them a living expense scholarship that would enable them to study during the semester and also have time to rest. And then in the summer and the winter, they can work and help cover their tuition. So we started this in uh, 2014. Uh, or Sorry, 2013. And not only do we give them this living expense scholarship, 500 a month, but we also set them up with a mentor who would call them once a week and meet up with them once a month and basically be the family that these kids have severely lacked, that they've never had. Uh, family, guys, it's all about family. Christ died for family. Abraham was set, out, set apart because of Family, the father of many nations. It wasn't that he was a mighty warrior. It wasn't that he was an evangelist. It wasn't anything. He was set apart because of family. That's what God sent his son for. That's what God desires. He sets the lonely into families. This is his heart. And uh, so we set that up. The mentor we've seen has been far more powerful than the money. The money is like the bait to get the kids onto the program. But it's the mentor that starts giving them love and even discipline that they've never gotten. And that's when we see the changes in the kids. I'm going to fly through some pictures right now. Uh, So this is, it's going to get brighter uh, in a moment. But this was taken in 2013, our first year. We just took four students, and my staff mentored each of them. Next slide. This is uh, 2015. This is our second class, and we also had a few students carry over. Uh, Next slide. This is our first Oak Tree Run. I I noticed a number of you guys signed up for this. Thank you guys for supporting uh, these kids and Oak Tree Project. This is 2015, the first Oak Tree Run. Uh, Next slide. Yeah, it's getting harder and harder to see. This is paintballing uh, and ATVing. That was a fun summer outing that we did with the kids. Um, They got scared of me. Uh, but it was fun for me. Uh, next slide. Uh, this is a last year 's summer outing. Uh, we went to Muido, which is near Incheon uh, Airport for the beach. We had a lot of fun there. Next slide. This was uh, this past summer. Uh, we went rafting and um, we we had some barbecue out in the countryside and um, so it is it 's grown. You can see like the numbers have grown steadily, and usually at the beginning of the year, the number is large. At the beginning of this year, we had 25. We've already had two students drop this year, which is normal. Uh, it sounds bad. I hate to say it, but uh, these are orphans, and a number of them do, you know, fail, or, or they're just like, ah, you know, this family stuff creeps me out, this mentor thing. Like, I don't, I don't want to do it. So we do have some kids that drop out. Right now, we're at 23 students on the program, and um, we have nine kids that have graduated and more kids will be graduating in February. So we take on new students every uh, January, February, about that time frame. I'm going to share with you guys about two students who graduated after four years uh, in our program. Their names are Sujin and Sabine. I'll show a picture of, of them to you. This is my wife, Sky on the right, and then Sujin, and then Sabine, and then myself. I've known these two um, since... I moved into the home at the end of 05. They immediately reached out to me. They were in fourth grade. In 2006, they were in fifth grade. We would play a lot. We'd have so much fun. Uh, next picture. This is... Next picture. There we go. That's that old picture of me with Sabine. She looks about the same, which is kind of funny. Um, but she was in uh, fifth grade. Yeah. Uh, land. That shirt was actually bought for me by a dorm mother um, because I dressed worse than the kids of the orphanage. Um, if you've been around for a long time, you would, you would have known the stories, but uh, it was, I was really bad. So that was my most fashionable shirt uh, that I had. Next slide. This is hide and seek. I couldn't find Sujin. Then I heard bumping in my washing machine. Uh, that's where she was. Uh, pretty fun. Uh, and so I'll share now. We can hit the lights back on. Um, But Sabine and Sujin, these two girls, there were a number of kids that I connected with, but these two really meant a lot to me. Um, They were patient with me. Uh, You know, a lot of the boys, they would just grunt, you know, which is fine. Like, they didn't really need language, so I would play with, you know, the boys in one way. But for the girls, they would want to communicate. And for these two, they were really patient with me, and uh, we just had so much fun. We laughed a lot, and um, I just, I felt God's grace in 2006. There was so much grace in 06. There were almost no issues. Uh, I rarely got sick. Um, The kids never got sick. I lived in a quarantine room in the home, so if they got sick, they had to stay with me. All of 06. Nobody got sick. It was just so smooth, and it was really hard for me still transitioning, having to learn the language, you know, going through a lot, but God's grace was thick, and then in 2007, it was like the grace started to lift, and these two girls entered sixth grade, which is a dangerous time, uh, for young ladies, um, and if you've worked with sixth graders, seventh graders, you will know um, that this, things change, and uh, I, I know none of you have daughters who are this old, but I feel really old now, because they've graduated from college, and I've gone with them through, you know, when they were a little child, through puberty, through, you know, high school, through college. Things get interesting. Every year, I go through this at the home, but this is my first time really going through it, and the girls suddenly hate you. Every year, Guys, every year, it's clockwork, it's like, oh, they're going to hate me next year. And sure enough, the next year, hi, they totally ignore me, you know, like, they get really weird and awkward and, yeah, it's puberty. Uh, and so they were getting in a lot more trouble, these two, and um, they, they were just getting tough and I would try and spend time with them, they would show attitude that they, didn't, they weren't showing before, and, uh, you know, my heart was breaking because they were so sweet before, you know, and now what's, what's going on? And I had uh, never experienced it, you know, as a father. Uh, I would never really, you know, saw it or witnessed it in other people. Um, so it was, it hit deep for me. And what got scary was not only were they going through that difficult puberty stage, but um, their rebellion was getting, it was crossing lines. And um, for one of the girls, um, she, I just remember looking out my window, and I saw a cop car pull up, and he called one of those girls over and started talking to her for a while and then she had to come up for English class and I was like what was that all about and he was like she was like oh it was was, he was talking about somebody else it's nothing like okay you know and then I talked to her dorm mom later and the dorm mom said well she's uh, been sneaking out in the middle of the night we didn't know this but around two three in the morning when everyone's asleep she sneaks out and just walks around and uh, the cop found her in the neighborhood and put her in the car and, and drove her back. And, um, you know, at this time, she was uh, 11 years old uh, and uh, just turned 12. She had just turned 12 years old. So she's, like, just entering puberty. And um, that just that scared me so much to hear that anything could happen to this girl and that she's already rebelling so much like this. What's going to happen when she enters high school? What could even happen tomorrow night? And then what's going to happen when she leaves the home? So I was already, even in 07, I heard about, you know, a boy committed suicide from my home that year, and another boy had fallen in deep depression. And i met another girl, older sister of one of the boys in the home. She had graduated from the home, and I could sense that she was in the, the prostitution industry. I was just really scared, and uh, I began to fall fell into depression. 2007 had a lot of heavy stuff going on then, a lot of reasons why I was feeling heavy, including these two. And uh, I felt hopeless. I felt like God, I can't be their savior. I can't walk with them through their entire life. Even if I stay here through high school, at some point, they're going to leave. And I can't, I can't protect them. What's going to happen? And uh, I just felt helpless. I felt like I'm not, making, I'm not doing anything. I'm not bearing any fruit. Why am I even here? It should be a kyopo that's doing this or someone else instead of me. And I considered going home, uh, moving back to America. Uh, I, was just, I was very depressed. And uh, I came here for a Friday fire uh, prayer meeting, and uh, I met with a prayer team uh, ahead of time, and I shared with them about my depression. I just shared how things have been really heavy. I didn't go into details about Sujin and Sabine or, or about anything else. I just shared about the depression, and they all laid hands on me, and they just prayed, you know, and prayed and prayed, and, and uh, afterwards, they're like, you feel better? And I'm like, yeah, you know, but I didn't feel, I didn't feel any better at all, guys. I mean, it was just like, well... Oh well. And uh, I went out and, you know, in, into the, the prayer meeting and I just told God, you know, it's kind of like that song, It is well with my soul. I was like, God, you know, I, I still feel horrible, but I'm still just going to worship you tonight. I'm just going to bless your name because you're worthy of it. And uh, I worshiped. And uh, after that Friday fire, one of the prayer team members came up to me and she said, Now, JM, while we were praying for you, I saw this vision. And in this vision, there was this balcony. And these two young girls running, and they jumped off the balcony. And then I saw you running up from behind, and you ran to the edge of the balcony, and you reached down. And your arms, they just, like, it wasn't natural. They just stretched, and you're able to catch the girls before they hit the ground. And you lifted them up onto the balcony, and they were in front of you. And suddenly I saw all these kids in front of you as well. And you went to hug them, and your arms just stretched out, and you were able to hug all of them. I don't know if that means anything to you, but, you know, that was the vision I saw. That's, that's, that's what she said. And, and, man, it hit me deep. And I knew that her vision was of Sujin and Sabine. And it was of them jumping off the balcony. And that, you know, the way they were living, the way that they were changing, the way things were looking for them, that was likely going to be the end result. But me reaching out and stretching what that symbolized was in the natural, yeah, I couldn't do anything for them. You know, I could protect them up to a point But at some point, I can't reach. But in prayer, by God's grace, by his power, by his spirit, these girls are going to be rescued. And that, you know, in orphanages, we go into North Korea and we start taking care of orphans there. You know, there's probably not going to be maybe enough workers to, to hug and care for each and every one of them. But by God's grace, by his mercy, somehow, just one hug or just somehow, all of these kids are going to feel that love, and they're going to be safe in our Father's embrace. And that was God encouraging me to not give up. He was encouraging me to pray and to trust the results to Him, that the results aren't what He's looking for. It's, it's just love. Just walk with God and love. Leave the results to the Lord. Trust that the Lord is good. Trust that God cares about those that He puts on your heart. Because if you experience love, your love comes from God. We love because God first loved us. So when you care about someone, that means God cares for them too. Okay, so don't fear. Pray. Pray for them. Love them. But don't even pray out of fear. Just pray out of love. And uh, so I did that. And, um, you know, thankfully after that awkward 2007, 2008, they started returning to normal. And I learned that every year the girls would start to do that. It it still breaks my heart when these girls hate me during that, like, year or two. Uh, But they turned back to being sweet. Sabine and Sujin, and, you know, they still had their rebellious sides and whatnot, but I continued to teach them sh- through junior high. We had a lot of fun, and then they hit high school, and I almost didn't see them at all. They went to school, then they went to Yaja, which is after school. They would come home around 11, 11.30 at night, and uh, I would see them at Lunar New Year's and at Chusuk. And um, when they graduated, uh, we had started Oak Tree Project, and we were going into our second year. And uh, I was just so excited. I could see God's grace from my prayers in 2007 up to that point in 2014, that where I thought these girls, when they would graduate, they would just be on their own. Now we have this Oak Tree project, and I can get a mentor who will reach out to them, and I can, you know, they can also be paid financially, so they won't be tempted to fall into those traps of society. And uh, we had enough funds to accept Sujin, but we didn't have enough to accept Sabine. And she had to be cut, and my heart broke. And I was like, God, where, where's your answer? You know, I've been praying all this time, and I had to do that whole thing, like, all right, God, I just entrust her to you. I know you'll take care of her. Um, but a couple weeks before the semester began, uh, I got a call from one of the supporters, a prayer supporter for Oak Tree Project. He gets our monthly updates. And he said, hey, you know, I felt like I, I, God leading me to give enough funds to cover an extra scholarship. Is there any student that didn't get a scholarship? And I immediately thought of Sabine. And I got so excited that God was providing for her. And I called her, and I told her that she was on. And I was just, guys, I mean, tears were coming down my face. I was so happy for Sabine. And uh, so she came onto the program. And for Sabine, I'll share about her, she got into a Christian university, and she studied social welfare. And uh, her mentor is Dahe Jung, who attends Hongdae. And Tai uh, was just so faithful uh, in caring for Sabine. But Sabine, like a lot of our kids, was very distant. Just very measured, very like, I'll go through the motions of this, but I'm not going to really open up about my life. And um, that's what we have to face with these kids. It takes time for them to open. And uh, during Sabine's second year, she told Daya, I'm going to get baptized. And Di was like, great, you know. And, and so Di attended the baptism, as did I. And at the baptism, we, we found out that one of the boys getting baptized was her boyfriend. And uh, we're like, great, okay, you know, you got a boyfriend. Uh, and they were dating. Well, then um, Sabine opened up to her mentor uh, a few weeks after the baptism that uh, her pastor that she had grown up with in the children's home told her, uh, Sabine, you need, should break up with your boyfriend. You see, your boyfriend is um, a friend of mine as a pastor, and that's his son. He's a pastor's son. And pastor's sons uh, shouldn't be dating someone with your background. Um, that's, that's just not right. Uh, and so you should break up with him. And, I mean, when I read that update from Dahe, you can't believe how angry I was, because I, I know this pastor. I've, you know, run with him for a long time, and he's a very nice guy. He's a very, you know, he preaches well. But this is part of the stigma here in Korea towards orphans, is that there are lesser people, and a lot of them will get denied hand in marriage. And the sad thing is, I know a number of kids, not just Sabine, who've been denied by pastors and by, you know, other elders in the church who their son or their daughter wants to marry, a kid from the orphanage, and they'll cut it and say, no, you, you can't marry with one of those. It's like a caste system. It's like orphans are the lower caste. And uh, I, I thought, man, Sabine's just going to curse God because that's what I would want to do. This guy that was my shepherd through my childhood is now saying that I'm not a good enough person, you know, to marry another pastor's kid. Um, but thankfully, Sabine didn't do that. She was hurt. And in her hurt, she opened up to her mentor, and that was crucial because that was part of that getting away from just going through the motions and starting to open up. And thankfully, although Sabine did end up breaking up with a boyfriend, I'm not sure what the reasons were why, uh, but she continued to seek the Lord. And her hunger for the Lord grew with every year, and uh, she had got to go on a missions trip with her university, and God really struck her, and, and faith started to rise up. And I would encourage her in her quiet times and prayer. Uh, it was just neat to see how God would speak to her. And uh, right before she graduated, she had to do an internship. And the internship would block her from working in that summer. So she wouldn't have enough money to cover for her tuition. So she was stressing out. She was like, What do I do? And uh, we just encouraged her. We were praying for you. And she did the internship through the summer. And then lo and behold, God gave her a scholarship for her tuition. And she knew it was from God. And uh, she rejoiced in God's provision. And during that internship, she worked with runaways. And as she was working with Runaways, she connected with them. She could just feel their heart. And um, she, she loved it, She's speaking into them, you know, empathizing with them, encouraging them. And she said, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to work with orphans. I want to work with Runaways. And uh, it was just so good to see the changes in her. And um, her sponsor, who lives in Japan, uh, visited uh, last year right before she graduated, a couple months before she graduated, and got to have a meal with Sabine, myself, Sky, and, and Tahe. And uh, we ate together, and we helped translate for Sabine and, and for the uh, sponsor. And it was just a really nice time. And uh, afterwards, the sponsor said to me, uh, we were walking away, he said, you know, if I had just met her tonight, and I didn't know her background, I didn't know, you know all that you had shared, I would have never guessed that she grew up in an orphanage. I would have guessed that she grew up in a very healthy, loving Christian family because she is, her demeanor and the way she's carrying herself, Such a mature young woman. And that just, that encouraged me so much because I knew her when she was in fourth grade and fifth grade. I knew her through rebellious stages. She didn't graduate from high school a refined, mature person. You know, she still had her issues like all of us did when we graduated from high school. But within four years of being mentored by Tahe and and just, you know, God working in her heart, she had changed so much. And um, now she's working at a children's home in Seoul. It's the same home that... uh, Kids come to our our arts and crafts camps and uh, to our soccer camp. So it's really cool um, that she's there. I'll show you guys a picture of her uh, now. Next slide. Uh, This was her and uh, her sponsor, and that's Tahe, uh, after that dinner. And next slide. Uh, This is her graduation day. And, you know, what an honor to be able to attend her graduation and um, just have seen her through from fourth grade uh, through graduating from college. So God... It's just so faithful and so good uh, in her life. And, um, I, you know, I'm sharing these stories not just to share about Oak Tree Project and why we do this, but really to share more so of God's faithfulness in my life and, and calling me out here 13 years ago and me feeling helpless with these kids. But God's showing that, you know, no matter how weak we are, no matter how unqualified we are for whatever we do, if we just love, if we just pray, God does the work. And, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't with Sabine in high school. I was barely with her in college. But look at what God has done in her life. And uh, it's just so amazing. And uh, for Sujin, the other girl, she got into a competitive college studying nursing and, uh, in Seoul. And, and uh, her first semester, she didn't do well. I, I believe we showed her grace, actually, that first semester. But we really, you know, challenged her. If you get under a 3.0, you go on probation, which means you don't receive the scholarship for a semester. You have to work, but you have to keep the mental requirements. If you choose to keep the mental requirements and you get your GPA back above a 3.0, you come back on the program. Um, but we give them the option. I mean, hey, if you just want to walk away, you can walk away. And we've had certain students do that. we are just like they don't want the pressure of it. Um, you know, but for Sue Jean, I believe it was two semesters. She did low. First semester, we showed her some grace. Second semester, we, we had to put her on probation. And she was just so upset. I, I'm not smart enough. I didn't go to academy like all these all my other students did. I'm I'm trying as hard as I can. Now I have to work like I will. I'll never be able to get a 3 i O. I'm I'm just not good enough. It's all this orphan spirit type language, you know. I'm weak. I'm I am weak i i i am not. I don't have the right background. I don't have this. I don't have that. And uh, it broke my heart. And I'll be honest, as you know, someone who had been with her for so many years and loved her so deeply, I just wanted to be like here, you know. I'll just give you everything. But the Bible says if you withhold discipline from your children that they're illegitimate children another word for that is bastard okay that's a strong word but that's what the bible says in hebrews 12 if you withhold discipline your children become illegitimate a child is marked by discipline and we had to discipline suji and uh, we had to put her through this and she wasn't happy but just like with sabine she had been pretty distant with her mentor mentor, sonny hong used to attend this church for a long time that first year she would go through the motions but that second year That first semester, she had to work at a Samgepsar restaurant, and um, then she had to study. You know, she had to go to her classes. She couldn't party. She couldn't do the things that she enjoyed doing before, and she was getting exhausted. She was getting fearful about her exams, and she would call Sunny and just be crying and just, you know, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough, blah, 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 and Sunny would just encourage her, would speak truth into her, and would pray for her, and um, it was during that time that Sujin and Sunny really began to grow together that relationship started to blossom. And at the end of the semester, she got a, what was it, 3.3. And she called me, she called G, she called mi Jung, she called Sunny, she called all of us. I did it, I got a 3.3. And uh, she was so happy, and we were so happy with her too. By the way, GPA in Korea is 4.5, it's not 4.0 system. So a 3.0 is not even like a B average. Um, but, uh, she got the 3.3. We were happy for her. And from that semester forward, every semester her grades went up and every semester her faith went up as well, because during that trying semester, she, she had to pray and Sonny would pray for her. And so faith was being kindled within her. And she opened up to Sonny about more and more stuff about deep, deep, heavy things. And, uh, it was just really beautiful to see her by the end of her, her, um, her classes, her, her semesters, her last semester, I believe, she got a 4.2. That's how much her GPA went up. So you SNU students got no excuse, you know. <laughs> you weren't raised in an orphanage, you know. You just believe in the Lord, study, do your thing. Um, but uh, it was just so amazing to see not just how much she'd grown in terms of her own self-confidence and her identity, but how much she'd grown in the Lord and in trusting in him. And um, she, during her exit interview, was talking with uh, Sky and was saying, you know, when I was at Gion, I could see JM uh, that he was living a different life from other people and that he was walking a narrow path. And, you know, looking back at his life and even seeing him now, I want to walk that narrow path, too. I don't want to just go the way that everyone else goes. You know, I want to live a life that's different. And um, it's just been so Amazing. To see God working in her heart and those desires, and even I've shared about North Korea with uh, Soojin and Sabine. I would love to take them with me and go in North Korea, you know, and care for the orphans. And you know, for Sabine, she just listens, like, hmm, you know. Um, but for Sujin, like, I see it like hitting her, and there'll be times where she's like, "I'm going to go," you know, "I'm going to go." She'll be like crying, and then like a week later, she'll call her mentor and be like, "I don't know if I can go. You know? <laughs> so hard. Uh, it was so scary." But you can see the tenderness in her heart, and you can see God working in her. We love because God first loved us. And you can see for Sabine and for Sujin, they've received so much love that now Sabine is giving it back at this orphanage. And Sujin has all this love, and she's giving it back at a hospital in Yom and she's also, you know, desiring to do more. And um, that's just a testimony to God's goodness. Uh, I'll show a slide. Yeah, that's uh, Sujin with her mentor, Sunny. God is good, Amen. So this is Oak Tree Project. Um, you know, Before I give my little twist uh, at the end, I think a lot of you guys are already receiving the prayer updates. Uh, number, you know, There's a number of you in here who have been serving as mentors as well. Um, but if you aren't receiving the prayer updates, I want to encourage you to go over to that little table, um, pour yourself a drink, and write down your name and email address. We'll send you 12 emails a year, monthly update, stories about the program with some prayer requests. Um, it would mean a lot for you guys to be praying for them. Uh, if you want to get financially, uh, I'll email you the different information. Uh, Oak Tree Run is already closed, so, you know, we, we can't take on more registrants for that. Um, but your prayers would mean a lot, just your prayers, keeping connected. And if you want to be a mentor, if you're going to be in Korea for the next two to four years, you are 90, might be 94, might be our cutoff this year, 1994 uh, or older, um, please check. That you're interested in becoming a mentor and uh, we'll be in touch with you about that all right you guys ready for the twist I'll take that as a yes <laughs> Deuteronomy 14 28 and 29 let's get that up there all right I'm going to read this to you guys uh, this is just some stuff I've been chewing on this this is what I shared at Hongdae but I'm going to share a little bit more uh, add to this tithing everybody loves hearing about tithing i talk about orphans suddenly I'm talking about tithing I always thought the tithe was supposed to go to the church, you know, but uh, you read your Bible, it goes to a number of different things. Uh, We need to support the church, and there are a lot of passages about giving towards the church, towards the Levites and to the priests, but there's some other passages as well, like this one, and uh, let me read it to you. It says, uh, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So, God wants our blessings to not just go to the church so that the church can continue, so that we can you know, pay the rent, so the pastors can be able to do what they do, but He desires that our giving go to those that are underprivileged, those that are hurting, those that His heart goes out to. Those that society tends to ignore. So up here, it says the sojourner. Another word for that would be foreigner. For our modern age, it would be more like refugee. The refugee, the fatherless, that not just means orphan, but also any kids that are abused, neglected. And the widow. these are the people that you should gather together and have a feast with and share in your abundance with. And it's interesting, it's not just give them a handout like a homeless person, just give them some money and walk away. What this is about is welcoming them to your home or to wherever you're gathering and having a feast with them. Treating them like family. You know, you think like Thanksgiving in America or Lunar New Year's here. You gather with all these relatives, you have a big meal. It's family. It's supposed to feel like family. And this is what God's heart longs for the refugee, the orphan, the widow, the lonely, to experience. He wants them to know family. So interestingly, for the early church, this isn't just Old Testament. All that's Old Testament stuff. It's in the New Testament as well. The first deacon board that was established was not established because we need a ministry team to help with missions, or we need a ministry team to help with welcoming or service or praise team or anything like that. no. The first deacon board was established because of widows. I'm going to read you guys Acts 6, 1 through 4. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews uh, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The Hellenists were the Greeks, basically the non-Jews. The Hebrews were the Jews. The Greeks' widows were being neglected. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That word serve is where we get the word deacon. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. So these seven that they set apart, which include the first martyr Stephen, also included Philip the Evangelist, these big names in the book of Acts, they were set apart to serve widows. They weren't appointed. Stephen, you're appointed to be, you know, this, this speaker and to speak to all these people and, and, and to save all these souls. Philip, we're not anointing you so that you can be an evangelist and a prophet and, and go out. And he did do this later in his life, as did Stephen. But no, actually, hands were laid upon them so that they could serve tables. Serve meals. You guys are included. We're not just going to take care of you and give you a handout. We're welcoming you here. We have food for you. You are important. You are more important than evangelizing. You're more important than missions. You're more important than getting a bunch of salvations. You're more important than miracles. Family is what's most important. You know what was the result of these seven deacons being set apart to care for the widows? Acts six six and seven it says these they set before the apostles. They prayed and laid hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Why did the gospel explode when they took their best guys and made them serve tables? It's because it's not our our giftings and our talents and our hard work that's going to change this world. It's just following God's heart and loving people. Especially loving those that his heart goes out for. Welcoming team, praise team, service team, tech team, 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 team. team. Guys, these are all important right now. We need them for the church, but you know, if the purpose of the church is just to get people serving in teams that just serve the church, something's backward. Something is backwards. Something is off. If I'm getting up here and giving this message, and I just go home, and I just watch TV, and I just do my life, and I, I don't really act in love, something's way off. Something very hypocritical is happening. See, the reason why we get together as family, the reason why, you know, I I didn't want this church to die. I I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to see you guys and be with you guys and worship. It's not just because I love to see you all. That's part of family. It's, you know, hopefully you like to see your family. Hopefully, you know, good family. And to worship the Lord. But I see such beauty in each and every one of you. For this group that was standing here, I could have taken like two hours and talked about each and every one of you, including you, Paula. You know, I haven't attended church with you, Paula, but I, I know you from praying, you know, together and different things. And I can attest to God's heart in each and every one of person that stood up here. And when we get together and we pray and, you know, we praise and we sing, God's heart stirs within us. That should be what's happening. So when we go back to our regular life and we do our work and everything, yeah, a lot of it is going through motions. You know, Why am I studying? Why am I doing this? It's okay. You know, We won't have all the answers, but God's going to stir our hearts at times. And when he stirs our hearts, we're called to act. We're called to reach out to that person that like, oh man, I think I should talk to this person. Oh man, I, I think I should call this person up on the phone. Just see how they're doing. That's an act of love. That's something where, yeah, you know, if you're being selfish, you just watch TV. You just do whatever you want to do with your own time. But when God's love is working in you, sometimes people just come on your heart. Sometimes it's like, you know, I think I want to do this for this person. or I want to start this up. And that's what I long to see in the church. is a church that is getting together like family, that is happy to see each other, that is united, and we're here to worship the Lord. And that as we worship the Lord, it's just natural. We love because God first loved us. As we worship him, we reflect his image. We're made in the image of God. Now, you know, in this culture, they try and say your image is everything. Your face. Get plastic surgery. Work on your face. Do all these things. And it's so satanic. But when God said you're made in my image, he's not saying you're made in my image because you got, you know, arms and legs. You're made in my image because you reflect my love. Some monkey can't do that. Some lion can't do that. You are able to reflect my love. You are able to reflect my light. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, earlier, Shin Young read about the sheep and the goats. And it's interesting, you know, at the judgment day, he calls them in. And he says, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was homeless, you, know, you, you, you covered me. You gave me a home. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you cared for me. When you did all this stuff, you did this for me. And they're like, when did we do this for you? When you cared for other people, you were caring for me. You're welcome into heaven. And then you get the goats. Hey, when I was naked, you didn't, you didn't cover me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was this, 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 you did nothing. You're going to hell. Notice he doesn't call them in and say, Hey, you got 30 salvations at that missions trip. That deaf person got their hearing back because of you. You gave this amount of money to the church. Welcome. Oh, you? You prayed for people. No one got healed. No one got saved. You're going to hell. No. It's not about this works, it's not about this cheat of how much have I done? You know, what am I accomplishing? How much have I fasted? Oh yeah, you fasted this much, you're welcome. Oh, you didn't fast, you selfish person. Get over there. It's not that. You prayed this much, you're welcome in. Oh, you didn't pray enough, go over there. What separates us is the love of God. The sign of a true believer is the love of God. Connecting with him. Connecting in his heart good Samaritan that you guys know this parable okay you know the the guy gets beaten and robbed he's left for dead the priest comes up this priest I'm sure has done so much for the Lord all his life I have served the Lord he sees this beaten man and likely because he's worried about getting unclean you know I I have the Lord's service to do he just passes by the Levite comes oh I have the Lord's service to do he passes on by and then the Samaritan comes and he takes his time He gets out of his comfort zone. He bandages this man's wounds. He puts him up on his donkey. He sacrifices his comfort, his donkey, for this broken man. He takes him to the city. He sacrifices his money. Gives the money to the innkeeper. Take care of this man until he's recovered. And he leaves. We don't know if that man was saved. We don't read of some miracle that happened or some amazing thing that, you know, this American could be like, look at what I've done. He just cared for him and that was the story that jesus used to show love that this is the most important thing you could do in your life love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and this is how you love them it's not about bashing your bible on their life you know on their head it's not about you doing all these acts you know to try and earn something it's just you loving the lord and as you love the lord it just comes naturally and if you're loving out of guilt, or like, i got to do this, or oh, God God is going to continue, that's not love. Okay, now and then we got to do the dishes when we don't want to do the dishes. You know, now and then we got to do stuff because it's a responsibility. But more than anything, it shouldn't just be you do life out of responsibility. Come to church, you should do that as a Christian. No. It should be God. I, I want to know you. I want to experience you more. And as you experience him more, it's my joy to pray for you. It's my joy to sacrifice my Saturday morning to care for you. It's my joy to just, you know, give some of this up. It's not even a sacrifice. Look at what Christ has done for me. Look at how much love I've received. There's no sacrifice. It's joy. And I I share this because we're going through a lot of transition here, and um, You know, it's been a hard it's been a hard road this past year, and things are going to look kind of wild here in a couple weeks. Okay, it's supposed to be the first Sunday of December. Hey, you're a transition. It might be right after the retreat. Some club wants to take the fourth and fifth floor, and um, they want to move in right away, and uh, so they're likely going to sign on Tuesday uh, at Antioch. And if they do, this is good for the church because they're going to cover a lot of expenses that we would have to pay. Uh, they're gonna, it's going to be very helpful for the church, but that means that date that everybody's coming, that D-Day, might get moved up a couple weeks. How do we respond? God, like, oh, I'm out of here. The hope is, is uh, yeah, it might get uncomfortable, it might, it might be different, it might be, yeah, the church that you've known you know, all this time is going to be made a bit different. There's going to be stuff that we're going to have to adjust to, but I'm telling you guys, as you seek the Lord, and you say, God, I just want to know you, and I want to know your love, I want to know your heart, when whatever happens, happens, the merge, whatever, thankfully, this isn't some church split, this isn't some, like, fight, or whatever that's happening, this is love, just like the people that came here, they're not here for, like, weird intentions, it's just love, when these people come, when, when the home day moves over here in November, it may be a little uncomfortable, We may have to sacrifice some of your comfort, Might have to do things a little bit differently, but I'm telling you guys, as you just focus on the Lord and worship him, you're going to find it's fun. You're going to find God's going to be doing a new thing, and it's exciting. It's good. And if they come and they catch that heart that you have, this church is going to double in number. But in terms of power, anointing, God's presence, I'm telling you, it's going to multiply beyond Any measure you can think of. It's going to be fun. But we got to have God's lenses. And the only way we can get God's lenses is asking Him, God, I want to know your love and I want to know your heart. And if it's been really hard, I'm not condemning you at all. It's been hard for me. It's been really hard for my wife. Um, You know, it's it's been hard for a lot of people. Uh, Take your time. Don't do stuff out of compulsion or out of guilt. You know, you got to take some time away or whatever. You do whatever you need to do, but know that you're loved in this place. Know that there's a lot of people, not just me, that are happy to see you, that you're always welcome, and that it's not on you to try and change things for the good. God's got this. He'll set apart the right people for the right timing. God's going to take care of these things. So to sum it up, I, I know this is quite like a, weird sermon. He's just like talking about orphans and then suddenly talking about giving to widows and suddenly I'm talking about love and what marks us as believers. But it really, guys, it's all connected. Because when you connect with God's heart, you start to care about the sinner. You start to care about the lonely. And you see in Jesus' life, who did he reach out to the most? He reached out to the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinful women. He reached out to the broken, the leper. These are the people that he loved to be with because he was a man of love. He hated the religious leaders. I mean, he hated them. Let's just be honest. Let's not say that he spoke. He spoke mean words to the Pharisees who weren't acting in love, but were acting more that works mentality. I fast twice a week. I do all these things. Therefore, I've earned it. You can't earn it. It's just love. And I just want to encourage you guys: seek His heart, seek His love, and your life is going to start to flow like a river, and it's going to start to get easier. And these transitions, we've gone through a dark season, but I'm just declaring that this coming season is not going to be like the previous season. It's going to get better and better. And as we just keep focusing on that light, focusing on his heart, we're gonna, it's going to get smooth. It's going to be sweet. There's not going to be any sacrifice. And my hope is that in time, we will have a widow team, that we will have an orphan team, that we will have deacon teams to serve the refugees, the homeless, to do And care for the people that God's heart breaks for. I believe it's going to happen. Let me close in prayer.